0: Welcome to this BJSM podcast, I'm Anya Tarazi and I'm with obesity researcher Zoe Harkom at the Low Carb High Fat Health Convention in Cape Town. Zoe is in her final year of a PhD that is looking at the evidence base for the introduction of dietary fat recommendations, Zoe's previously uncovered conflicts of interest and exposed non-evidence-based nutritional messages such as the five a day. In this podcast, we'll hear why Zoe challenges current dietary advice, what she proposes should be in our diet and we'll find out what Zoe's call to action is. Welcome Zoe.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: You challenged the dietary fat guidelines given to almost 300 million people in the US and the UK. Could you explain your
1: study and its conclusions? Absolutely. So I was working with a team out of the University of West of Scotland, primarily with a couple of colleagues elsewhere, and what we wanted to do was to go back to imagine that we had been there at the time the dietary fat guidelines were introduced, to see what the evidence base would be. And grade one evidence is when you do a meta-analysis and systematic review of randomized control trials. So we did that and found that there were six randomized control trials, or six actual interventions, available to the American committee in 1977, and then a further one available to the UK committee in 1983, which was the Woodhill study. Now, there were a number of interesting findings. One was that there was no difference whatsoever in all deaths. They were 370 piece in the intervention groups and the control groups. There was no statistically significant difference in coronary heart disease deaths. And the relative risks that we were establishing were around 0.99, as close to the line of no effect um, as was possible. Now, we found some other interesting things. One was that only about 2,500 men had been studied They were almost entirely men who had already had a heart attack, so they were what we call secondary studies. Only one of the studies included some primary subjects, and no study actually called for a change in the dietary guidelines. So the 1965 Research Committee low-fat diet probably had the strongest conclusion by saying a low-fat diet has no place in the treatment of myocardial infarction. So no women were studied. Very few healthy men were studied, only two and a half thousand in total. No one study called for change in dietary guidelines, and yet perhaps a billion people have been affected by these guidelines since.
0: The national food guidelines are faulty. How do you think they should be, can be altered,
1: or what do you think we should eat? This is now my personal view as opposed to the findings of the research because we did nothing to look at what dietary advice should be, we just looked at the evidence base for the introduction of the guidelines. Um, My personal view and I know it is shared by some of my colleagues on the paper is that we need to go back to eating what we ate before we had an obesity epidemic and we would sum up that message and this would be our desire for a government public health message would be to eat real food and by this we mean pasture-fed animals and the eggs and dairy from those naturally um, re- raised reared animals, fish, eggs, vegetables, salads, fruits in season and when you eat in that way you just don't have room for the whole grains and the starches, the things that the government is actually telling us to base our meals on. Now, it's interesting that we're at a low carb, high fat conference um, because the way that we would look at things when you go the real food route is that first of all, you choose to eat real food. Secondly, you adopt a a principle of take care of the pennies and the pounds, look after themselves. So eat to get the micronutrients and the macronutrients will be what they will be. But if you eat to get vitamins and minerals, you will naturally be choosing red meat over even white meat, let alone whole grains. You'll be choosing oily fish over white fish, let alone whole grains. You'll be choosing eggs, you'll be choosing dairy, you'll be choosing nuts and seeds. You'll be choosing foods naturally low in carbohydrate and naturally high in fat, because those are the foods where nature has made the nutrients dense.
0: And if we go ahead with the low-carb, high-fat diet and base future guidelines that lower carbohydrate intake, how can we meet the demands of the whole population?
1: There are a couple of interesting things here. One is that we would not have the world population that we have today, but for the availability of carbohydrate. So you can trace the explosion in world population back to about 10,000 years ago when we had the grain introduction, the introduction of organised farming, the agricultural, the first agricultural revolution in effect. And that has enabled people to move away from growing their own food on the land to being able to grow food for others. It has arguably freed us up to become artists and rocket scientists and all the rest, but it has had consequences. So it is a problem now that we have a population that has become divorced from the land. So this is a great question, and it's a question that hasn't been answered, and it's a question that needs to be answered, because I don't know if we can feed 7 billion people, let alone the forecast 10 to 11 billion people that we think the planet will end up with before it peaks and falls away... I don't know if we can feed that population on animal-based food. I don't know that we can, and I don't know that we can't. But we have to look at it, because what we do know is that we cannot continue to feed the population on grains and soy-based products, because we need to replenish the topsoil on the planet with ruminants naturally grazing on the land and replenishing the nutrients in the land. And at the moment, we are raping the land of those nutrients, topsoil that was once feet-thick is now millimeters thick and we are potentially destroying the planet's ability to house any food so it's a question that we have to look at
0: so what is your call to action how will we be able to amend these archaic guidelines and how can we move towards a healthier diet
1: I would love that as a result of this the guidelines are revisited and that people recognize that they weren't based in evidence Perhaps as surprising as some of the findings from the paper last week were the public health authority response to the paper, um, which was to um, reinforce the current guidelines, to claim even louder and even harder that they are evidence based, um, and to just repeat the messages rather than looking upon this um, with the openness and honesty that public health authorities should to say, does it tell us anything new? Does it tell us? that we need to relook at our guidelines. Um, to people at this conference it absolutely does. And to our astonishment to the public health bodies, it isn't delivering that message. So we think that it's going to be much more of a bottom-up revolution rather than a top-down change in guidance, um, which is disappointing, but it's the reality of what we're seeing and what is likely to continue until the public health authorities are prepared to open up to the possibility of having got things wrong.
0: So it's up to the public to sort of promote this as well. Um, And so most of our listeners um, are, um, are aware... Um, of a BGSM editorial called Training Tomorrow's Doctors in Exercise Medicine for Tomorrow's Patients, and um, we want to ins- ensure that doctors deliver safe nutrition guidelines to their patients. This, pa- this editorial proposes a module for teaching medical students on how to prescribe physical activity for chronic diseases and surgical, ca- surgical care. Is there something similar that's provided in, in nutrition?
1: There isn't, and there absolutely should be. Um, one of the most interesting presentations at this conference um, was by Jimmy Moore, and he asked the audience, which includes a number of physicians, family doctors, cardiologists, um, practicing specialist consultants, how much nutritional training they had in their, um, their course, basically. And some of these courses last up to seven years. I think the lowest that we've seen is about three hours. Um, and the highs that we've seen uh, runs into days. In that the nutritional training is not there and the doctors um, that are looking for solutions to the chronic disease that they're seeing in their patients are acknowledging that and they're seeking further information and some of those then come across the low carb, high fat movement because they're seeing the impact that it has on some of their patients. The open-minded doctors see somebody walk through the door who's maybe dropped 50 kilograms, manage their type 2 diabetes, off medication, feeling fantastic, and they want to learn more about this. So there absolutely is a a need for a comparison nutritional module um, so that we can bring everybody up to the same level of nutritional awareness.
0: Maybe this is something we should work on to ensure the clarity of nutrition messages delivered. That would be excellent. That would be a really good initiative. You've already taken one great initiative. That would be a really excellent one to do next. Fantastic. Thank you for your time, Zoe. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a BJSM podcast with Zoe Harkum and Dietary Fat Recommendations. I will put a link to Zoe's uh, study in, um, in the BMJ Open Heart um, in the description of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't fear the fat and have a physically active day.